James chapter 1. This should be short and simple, because if I make it more than that, you might lose the simple message. Brother Eric just put us in an awkward situation. I had made reference a few minutes before he picked that last song that we don't want to be hearers of the word, readers of the word, or singers of the word. I said that. Then he picks Holy Bible, Book Divine. And so now we're readers, now we're hearers, and now we're singers, and God doesn't care about any of them. Are we going to be doers? This book is fabulous. Anyone that wants to help me can try to help me wear a loving hind in a pleasant row wants to go and what she wants to eat or what she wants to do before this sun sets. Because I just don't want to tell you about the Lord teasing me in the middle of the night about the first clause of Proverbs 5.19. Then I'm guilty of a fourth one. I'm a reader of the word. I'm a hearer of the word. I'm a singer of the word. I'm a preacher of the word. And I go my own way and forget what manner of man I am. I'm best at putting a saddle on Bambi. Maybe not quite that bad. Maybe. Let's, let's open the perfect law of liberty. And I love every word of this passage. I read to you verses 21 through 25. We don't need any more. I don't want us distracted. James chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. And let me remind you, that this man is writing the same audience that Paul was so concerned about. Israel. Elect Israel. The first verse of this epistle says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greeting. You can figure that out. James is writing all the Jews that had been scattered throughout the whole world at that time by the wars that had happened against the nation of Israel because of their disobedience. So it's the same audience. Because there's an interesting little play here in this 21st verse about having an engrafted word, and that's what Paul was assuming that he had in Romans chapter 10, that it was in their mouth and in their heart. I don't really want to comment on that anymore. Here we go. Lord, these are your words. Speak to us. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer... He is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed." Amen and amen. 
Wherefore, when we come to James chapter 1 and verse 21, let's remind ourselves that the apostle is not writing the unsaved or the perishing or those that are lost. He's not. He calls them brethren throughout the epistle, like the second verse, my brethren. He speaks to them in the last two verses of this epistle and says, brethren, if any of you dare do err from the truth, what does that mean that they have in relationship to the truth right now? They're walking in the truth. And one convert him. He calls them beloved brethren. In verse 19, wherefore, my beloved brethren, these are the children of God. These are God's elect. And so when it says that there's a salvation that they can have from the word of God, it is certainly not talking about election, justification, regeneration, or glorification. It is talking about the conversion of them from one sinful way of living to another, which is exactly how it's defined by James in the last two verses of this epistle. That if you convert one who has departed from the truth and is now walking in error and you bring them back into the way of truth, you've saved a soul from death and you're hiding a multitude of sins. We just need that so that we don't get confused with the word saved in the last part of verse 21. Wherefore, he's drawing a temporary conclusion from the fact that we have been born again in verse 18. That is, the audience that James wrote was born again in verse 18 so that they are the first fruits of his creatures. And he's mentioned in verses 19 and 20 about the righteousness of God. My beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. So he's emphasized hearing, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. When you get angry, the, the chances of you doing something pleasing to God when you're angry are, are slim to none. The Bible does say, be ye angry and sin not. And the Bible does say in Matthew chapter 5, that if you're angry with your brother, you better have a cause. But we seldom have a cause. We might say that we have a cause, but we usually don't. And so we're talking about the righteousness of God on the part of born again, beloved brethren. Wherefore, what should we do? If we want to work the righteousness of God, he's already told us, be a good hearer, stop talking so much, don't be quickly angry, because anger doesn't work the righteousness of God. It's not pleasing to him. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. You know, when you look up in the Bible what it means to lay apart, well, one of the examples that's three times in the Bible are menstrual rags. Now, that's pretty exciting. How close do you want them to you? Any volunteers? Wherefore, lay apart three times in the Old Testament. Get rid of the ugly things. Get rid of the stinking things. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. What is filthiness? Filthiness is not taking a bath to clean your outward body. Filthiness is moral corruption or pollution. It's obscenity, it's violence, it's wickedness, it's being bad. What are you doing in your life right now that is displeasing to God? What sins are in your life? It's filthiness. In general, it's filthy. You, you're, you're dirty because you're doing something wrong. You're dirty in your speech. You're dirty in your thoughts. You're dirty in your actions. You're dirty at work. You're dirty at home. Where are you dirty? Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. First of all, what's naughtiness? 
It's the same thing as filthiness, being bad, being wicked, being wrong. Naughty. You know what the word means, and that's what naughtiness is. It's being naughty. It's being bad. But what is that word superfluity? Superfluity means an excessive amount of something. An excess. And so it says, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. You say, well, can I have a little bit of naughtiness and it won't be super superfluous and so I can have that? No. The apostle is saying, any naughtiness you've got is superfluous. It's superfluity. It's too much. So get rid of it. That's what he's saying. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness, instead of saying all naughtiness, he says, and superfluity of naughtiness. Get rid of all of it. It's excessive. It's too much. You shouldn't have any. And receive with meekness the engrafted word. When we receive something with meekness, we receive it humbly. We let it tell us we're wrong. And we say, okay, I'm wrong. We don't get defensive. We don't say, well, they don't understand. He doesn't understand when he preaches against me how difficult it is living with the person I live with. That doesn't have a thing to do with it. You're being proud and rebellious to think that way. Humble yourself before the Word of God. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. You don't have anything happening in your life that isn't happening in everyone else's life. It just may be different in shape, size, or color, but its effect on us is the same. Receive with meekness the engrafted Word. That's to humble ourselves before God's Word. It's called the engrafted Word because God has already stuck it on the inside of us if we're His saved children. It's really there. And that's why we're not happy in the world. The world can't make a Christian happy who has God's Word in his heart. And so you're always miserable. I, I have lived that life. Has anyone else lived the life of constant misery because you were God's child and you were trying to find happiness in the pig pen of this world? You're miserable. So receive his engrafted Word in meekness, humble yourself before it, which is able to save your souls. Now, when the Word of God is able to save your souls, first of all, we know they're already saved. So we have to ask, what are they being saved from? And the verse tells us, being saved from filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Getting all the little naughty things out of your life that are displeasing to God, displeasing to your spouse, displeasing to your parents, pastor, employer, neighbor, teacher, Whoever it may be, get those things out of your life. The Word of God is able to do that for us. And he starts off by telling us, because we're born again, it's already on the inside. Let's receive it. As we hear it, it'll match up and we'll say, that's the truth. I should be doing that. Because you already have it written in your heart. But now you're hearing it through your ears from some man preaching it to you. That's verse 21 in short. Verse 22, but, but, you know, it said receive with meekness the engrafted word. How can you receive the Bible? And that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about the living word of God. We're talking about the written word of God. And you're supposed to receive it. But one way you can receive it is to hear it. I'm repeating myself right now. Another way you can receive it is to read it. Another way you can receive it is to sing about it like we just did. We have really heaped some responsibility on ourselves this day. And I can preach it. So you can be guilty of three things, you've, three ways in which you've received the Bible. 
and I can be guilty of four ways in which I've received the Bible because I'm taking such a bold position to actually preach it to you. But here's what counts. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only or singers only or preachers only or readers only deceiving your own selves. If you come to church like this service and want to worship God and want to please Him and the Bible's preached and you read it and it's been read to you, you've heard it, and you think that's good enough, you are wrong. You have deceived yourself. When you deceive yourself, that means you tell yourself a lie and you believe the lie. I like describing it that way. Because it really gets it, makes it look ugly, doesn't it? I lie to myself and I believe the lie. That is deception. I believe something to be true that is not true. And what is that in this verse, James 1, 22? I have heard the Bible preached and that is going to do me good. I have been at a young couple's retreat and I have heard lots of things that I know were right about how a husband and a wife ought to relate to each other and that's good. I have preached the Word of God faithfully, and that's good. I have read the Word of God looking for what the Lord can show me. None of that is good. You're deceiving yourself to think that because you go to a church that preaches the Bible, or I'm deceiving myself if I think because I preach the Bible, that that's going to cover me with God and not do it. But be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only. Now we have to hear it in the first place to be a doer. And so it says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. We, we all got to hear it or read it or sing it or study it in order for us to be able to do it. So that 22nd verse is telling us, don't deceive yourself. Don't lie to yourself that you've got enough religion just going in and knowing the truth was preached. The truth is preached in this church. We take great pains for the truth in this church. But there's no residual value for the fact that the truth is preached here. And when you read the Bible, the Word of God, you're reading the Word of truth. But there's no benefit or residual value because you get up every morning and whip through a chapter before you go to work. What counts is you being a doer of it. And it doesn't matter that we sing it. Holy Bible, book divine. About it being a precious treasure, thou art mine. What matters is, are we going to do it? That's the 22nd verse. You can understand that, can't you? I'm deceiving myself. I think I'm okay with God. Because I went to church, and I know that the Bible's preached there. I went to a couple's retreat, and I heard so much stuff from the Bible about marriage. And, you know, it brought back my cousin, and it brought back my neighbor, and the person I work with. And it was telling me all these things, and I know it was true. What I, so what? What are we going to do with it? Verse 23, for if any be a hearer of the word, that's you and me, except I got a little bit more, a bigger problem. I'm a preacher of it. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. He's he's making a comparison here. If you come to church and hear the word of God preached, You're like a man who gets up in the morning and goes in and looks in the mirror. And I have preached this before. And because I've preached it before, should I never preach it again? 
I want to remind you right now of how important it is when we come into this house right. and this book is opened. Did you pick up the fact that God was making fun of their fasting and ceremonies in Isaiah 58? Amen. Did, did, did he call them that they, they are seeking after me and they want to know the, the rules of prudence and wisdom? But it was all sarcasm. He doesn't care about us sitting here. And you know what? He doesn't care about me up here. Okay, we get up in the morning and we go look in the mirror. What's it look like? If you're lucky, you... You, shave, you cut all your hair off. Okay, what does it look like when you look in a mirror in the morning? Your hair standing, Adam, it's not fair. Your hair standing on end. You've got sand in the corner of your eyes. A woman could have makeup running all down her cheeks. It's a precious sight. You've got last night's supper on your teeth. You know, you've got some kind of slime on your tongue. There's some snot that you didn't take care of during the night because you were asleep on the end of your nose. There's some ugly hairs coming out of that nose. You know, you know you're getting old when the hairs in your nose grow faster than the hairs on your head. <laughs> and you're looking in the mirror and you're seeing all this. It's, it's a mess. Think about anything that you can think of. You've got earwax sticking out there. You've got a black head and a white head side by side, and it doesn't look like a salt and pepper shaker. And it's all there on your face. You've got pock marks from having chicken pox when you were a child. You've got age spots. You've got moles. You've got marks. Oh, I hate mirrors. That's what we're talking about. It's not hard. It's looking in a mirror. Do you all know the difference between a good mirror and a cheap mirror? Good mirrors are painful things to run into. Give me a cheap mirror. I'd like to do it. I'd like to look at my reflection in some moving water instead of a good mirror. And then do not bring a light to bear on that mirror. Unless you're going to bring a candle and put it behind me. Then I look pretty good. I glow in the light of that candle when it's behind me. But you bring out 93, uh, uh, the candle power of the sun that's 93 million miles away, and you look in a mirror. Have you ever done that? Sunlight on a mirror on your face. Can you see every pore? Do you like every one of them? No. I'm not being funny. I want you to think about the Word of God. It is the light and mirror, and it is called the perfect law of liberty. It is a perfect mirror, and it is a perfect light, and it gets everything. If you shaved ever so carefully, and you've got the sun shining on you in a good mirror... You can see that nasty little guy that got away just sticking out like a redwood tree because you have a good mirror and a good light. This is verse, the Bible is not always difficult, especially here. James is not one of our harder epistles. James just gets right down to business, doesn't he? He keeps business up right until the last verse. There's, There's no sweet nothings whispered by James at the end of his epistle. He just gets right down to business. A very practical book. You know what he's going to tell you about your tongue in chapter 3? You might not want to look in that mirror. We want to look in that mirror, don't we? Because we need to if we want to please God. Verse 23, For if any be a hearer of the word, that means you come to church and listen to me preach, and not a doer, or we come to church and I preach, but I'm not a doer, 
He is like unto a man that gets up in the morning, that's not, that's assumed here, beholding his natural face in a glass. His natural face. We're not talking about spiritual things for a, mo- a moment. We're talking about natural things. Verse 24, For he beholdeth himself. He looks in the mirror and sees his face and realizes he has 20 to 30 problems that he should take care of. He needs to shave. He needs to brush his teeth. He needs to blow his nose. He needs to cut those nose hairs. And on and on it goes. He needs She, let's work on her for a while. She needs to wipe the mascara off her cheeks. She needs to wipe the lipstick off her chin. And everything else that happened to her during the night. And she needs to do something with that hair. It looks like a blind man had a pitchfork in a barn. All of those things are true. And the Lord wants you to be thinking about it because before you go out of that bathroom to meet anyone, and we ought to care about our spouses, isn't that convenient? That thought never crossed my mind in preparing this subject. But when we leave that mirror, we should have fixed ourselves up a little bit for our spouse. But I usually like to refer to it as going out to go to work. Do you know what kind of customer response that Adam Green would have if he opened his mouth and last night's lasagna was on his front teeth? Or anything like that? We have to be careful. And so the text is telling us, we look in the mirror, verse 24, he sees himself, he knows he's got problems, but he goes, he just turns away from the mirror and walks away and straightway, immediately forgets what manner of man he was. What manner of man he was. What manner of man he was in the mirror. Because now he's walking away and just blowing it off on me. Love me or leave me. You know, on me, but he's forgetting everything that mirror showed him to have been. He forgets. Straightway, immediately. Now let's just, let's talk about that. This is the Word of God speaking to us. We come into this church, and we hear the Word of God preached. We go to a young couple's retreat, and we hear the Word of God preached. We are hearers of the Word. We're like a man looking into a mirror. Then what happens when the man in charge says, Amen? We go our way, and straightway forget what manner of man we were when we were in the mirror, and the light was on us. Ever have... If you've been going to church for 40 years, have you ever done that before? Mm-hmm. We've done it more than once. Mm-hmm. Are we prone to do it often? Right. We get up from an amen. We start a conversation that's pretty spiritually minded. The next one's a little bit less. The next one's a little bit less. We're here for 22 minutes and 30 seconds. We walk out the door, get in our car, and an hour later, if we were to be asked what was the subject of the sermon... Some would have to hesitate and reel through their brain and resurrect it. The, the subject of the sermon, let alone the details that showed up in your mirror. Do we do that? We do it. That's what this passage is about. You know what? We don't do it with our natural faces. If you're going to go to work or you're going to go to an interview... Guess what? You man, you scrub that thing, and you take care of everything, and you're pulling off all the sand off your eyelashes, and 
you're combing your eyebrows and you're, you're doing everything you can to look appropriate. You're blowing your nose, scrubbing your face, scrubbing your teeth, combing your hair, making sure you've got everyone just right. But what about this? Verse 25, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty... This is the perfect law of liberty. Right. It's our Bibles. It's the word that's been engrafted into your hearts and that I'm preaching it to you. And while you're hearing it preached, there is a connection made in your heart that maybe very quietly, maybe loudly, says that is truth and I'm living wrong and I should change. It is saying I've got a booger showing There's a God in heaven who hates boogers. And we hear from God's word that we've got one showing. When you get up in the morning and you've got one hanging out of your nose, you get rid of it. But when you come into here and you hear the word of God and it shows a booger in your nose, and you close your Bible up and you walk out of here, you are like a man that sees a booger hanging out of his nose. They won't remember this. They'll, they won't forget this sermon soon. You are like a man that had saw it hanging there and just turned around and went off to work. Right. And you know what? We turn around and we walk out of here. We jump in our cars. And Lord, save us if anyone turns on any of this world's music that is available on your radio or you plug in anything that is contrary to temple music that God would be approve of. If you do anything that distracts from you cleaning yourself up according to God's word, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and that's what we're doing right now in this passage, we are looking into the perfect law of liberty, the Bible, and continueth therein. He doesn't turn away from that mirror until he sees every imperfection, but it will show him, and he corrects it. Right. He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. What is the deed? The deed is hearing the word of God, examining everything that it's showing wrong with me, and making a change. That man's going to be blessed in his deed. This is one of the simplest passages in the Bible. I just had 13 couples at a young married couples retreat. And I was one of the couples, the way I'm using this. We just saw and heard things from God's perfect law of liberty that exposed us as husbands that are too harsh, husbands that are insensitive, husbands that are impatient, husbands that require more than a weaker vessel should have to bear in a 24-hour-a-day, 7-day-a-week, 52-week-a-year job. As wives, they heard about their silence being equal rebellion to slamming a door when their husband asks them a question. We heard about wives not reverencing their husbands. We heard about wives defrauding their husbands. And you all heard it last Sunday when I preached to you on the importance of marriage. Now, we have looked into the perfect law of liberty, and I'm going to show you that it's a pretty decent mirror with a pretty decent light. Let's just be plain. It is a terribly honest mirror. 
in a terribly honest light. You can't hide a thing from God if you approach His mirror correctly. Look at Proverbs chapter 6. And I don't want to chase you very far, and I don't need but a few more minutes. Because I want to humble you before the Word of God. It is my responsibility to show Israel their sins. And this is why we preach the Bible. It's not to accumulate some storehouse of knowledge so that we can make fun of Arminians. It's to accumulate an examination of our face so that we can see what's wrong, so that we can correct the blemishes in our lives. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 23, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Well, now, what kind of wisdom is this right here? What kind of a light is this in Proverbs 6.23? Well, I think since it doesn't end with a period, and for us to be consistent with what I said about John chapter 1 and verse 12, we ought to read the next verse. To keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids, for by means of a whorish woman, and it goes on. So, we have a commandment here. We've opened the perfect law of liberty, and those men who fantasize about any other woman than the one they're married to have just had a booger shown. And that's being kind compared to what God thinks of fantasizing about a woman you're not married to. It says in the 25th verse, Lust not after her beauty in thine heart. So if you are thinking in your heart about another beautiful woman and desiring her, you've just been shown up to have a major flaw in the mirror of God's word. It says, Neither let her take thee with her eyelids. If you ever look at her and exchange any pleasantries or personal exchanges of affection, you have gone beyond the word of God and you have something ugly on your face. The Word of God and the light of His Word has shown you up. Stop it. Correct it. Get away from her. Don't talk to her. Don't look at her. Get rid of your computer. Stop surfing the Internet. Get rid of pornography on your Internet. If you're a woman, stop reading romance novels. Stop reading about pretend men that don't exist anywhere but in the foolish, benighted imagination of wicked, lustful women. You say, you're so mean about romance novels. Not yet. I love to get a woman who thinks that she's righteous because she can read romance novels, but she wants to pick on her husband for looking at pornography. There isn't one whit of difference unless we were to make the romance novels worse. A man looks at pornography because he's turned on by sight, and so he wants to see a perfect female body. A woman reads a romance novel because she's turned on by sweet nothings whispered in her ear and flowers and chocolates arriving at the appropriate time. And no man's ever going to do that for you, especially people who read romance novels. And so it's the same. She has created an illusion. And that illusion makes her unhappy with the husband she's got because he only brings her flowers once a decade. And so she's in trouble. She's unhappy. She's lusting after something that doesn't exist. He's a flawless man. And so, her husband wants to look at a flawless body. They both are sins. And the Word of God condemns them both. I just can't let you women escape 
by sitting there in your self-righteous ivory towers thinking that men's fascinations with perfect female bodies is so terrible when you've got your own fascination. You want to read about these junk characters that demented women have written about their illusions. They don't exist anywhere. Just like the silicone-stuffed sluts that make up the models in pornography magazines don't exist anywhere that you're ever going to meet. They wouldn't give you the time of day. They're illusions. By plastic surgery, trick photography, and drugs to get the women to do the things they do in the pictures. And the man in the romance novel is an illusion. He doesn't exist anywhere except in a crazy woman's mind. I didn't that isn't really my topic. It's just that when I look at my favorite verse to match up with James chapter 1, it's Proverbs 6.23. And I don't know how to read the Bible except to look at the verses around it. And so when I read Romans 6.23, the commandment is a lamp and the law is light and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. I have just reproved this congregation with some instruction from God's word and it's shining a light upon any man that tries to do something in the dark, or any woman that tries to do something in the dark, whether she has a reading lamp on or not, I don't care, it's still in the dark, and the commandment is a lamp, because it's talking about sexual fantasies and sexual sins in the context, even though that wasn't my subject. But we've looked into the perfect law of liberty. What do you want me to do? Are you offended because I dealt with sex? one of the most troublesome subject areas that anyone has to deal with? Should we go to James chapter 3, where I can get you and your tongue? Where do you want me to go? Or do you want me to go to Proverbs chapter 11, where I'm going to get you and your money? Because you don't part with it easily enough. Where do you want me to go? Well, it's the perfect law of liberty, and my purpose is not to preach the entire counsel of God on this Sunday afternoon about everything in the Bible. My point right now is for us to be scared every time we open its pages and that we will look very carefully because we're scared to go away from that mirror and have somebody see a booger hanging out of our nose. We are scared to read the Word of God and to close it up and say, I'm going home now. And we go out and get in our cars and walk away from this place and have not made the changes that we should. We are just like that man. And that's what James chapter 1 is trying to teach us. And you young couples, and this older couple, and a middle-aged, a couple in the middle. You say, what's bothering you about that couple's, let her be as the loving hind in Pleasant Row? If anyone in here got to marry a female Bambi, I did. And I hope that half of you are disagreeing with me. That's the whole reason I say it. Don't, I hope you figured me out by now. So what does Bambi get for lunch? What's Bambi going to get for supper? And I don't need the suggestion that I got at the couple's retreat. Does that mean you get to shoot a mother? That was comic relief to relax you. This is a magnificent book. Look at Psalm 19 and verse 8. I told you my favorite bullet point from 80 pages was think. Quench the spirit. Invite the devil in. Corrupt good manners. 
That's the perfect mirror of God's Word, reminding us of how important it is that we walk with God and confess our sins and are pure and clean before Him. Because if we don't, those are the consequences. We quench the Holy Spirit of God, we invite the devil in, devil in for our own destruction, and we corrupt our good manners. But the loving hind in the pleasant row, I'm just picking on a little, a little tiny, tiny, tiny point. Because if you really care about how you appear in that mirror, you are looking and checking everything out. And if you see some little problem, you do want to take care of it. So I want, I want us all to take care of things. Proverbs 19 and verse 8, look at it. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. If you don't know what's wrong in your life, then the word of God is going to help you see it. Because it's, the, word, the word of the Lord is pure. Do you know how many blemishes pure allows? None. It enlightens the eyes. You're going to look at yourself in a different way than you ever looked at yourself before if you will let the word of God speak to you. Look at 119 and verse 105. 119, 105. I know that many of you may have memorized this verse, but I hope that you're thinking about it now in a, in a slightly different way. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, 105 the Word of God is a lamp and a light. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and 19, 2 Peter 2, 19. 1, 19. 2 Peter 1, 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Speaking of the Bible. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Do you understand that when we walk out of this assembly, no one out there, no media that you have coming into your home is going to remind you of the mirror of God's Word and the light of His Word. Do you understand that? There may be some good things that you will hear at school. There may be some good things you will hear at work. Some good principles of industry some good rules of diligence, but no one is going to help you outside these walls with a light. That's why it says the Bible is a light that shineth in a dark place, whereunto ye do well, that ye take heed until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. I corrupted the verse a little bit, but we got all of its clauses out there. It's a more sure word of prophecy. It is a perfect mirror. It is a perfect law of liberty. It is a perfect shining light. We live in a dark world. No one out there believes that a woman ought to submit to her husband the way we do. No one out there believes that a man ought to take care of his wife the way that I just taught you. No one out there is so strict to grab romance novels for women and jam them into the same paragraph and, and discussion as pornography. And if there's exceptions, that's why they're called exceptions. The general rule is what I'm telling you is true. It's dark. So when we have our time together and we look into that mirror and we're not going to get it in the same way again for another week or maybe till Wednesday night when you're here, and I do hope you read it and hear it and listen to sermons, we're going to be in darkness. Everyone we talk to is going to think we're extreme, that we can modify our 
attention to detail a little bit? You know, does it really matter that you don't have musical instruments? You know, all the things that we could raise, does it really matter whether you celebrate Christmas or not? Well, all these are blemishes on our face. The Word of God tells us it's very important. They tell us it doesn't really matter. Listen, you two, you're still married after 35 years. Should I retire? I've been married for 35 years. She's shaking her head no. She doesn't want to retire. She's wondering where Bambi's going to be fed this afternoon. James chapter 1. I don't want us to waste a single time that we ever have together and turn away from the perfect mirror of God's Word and the perfect light of His Word and deceive ourselves and walk out and say, I've done a good thing today. I was in the house of the Lord and I heard the Word of God preached. I read the Word of God. I sang the Word of God. And I get to add, I preach the Word of God. It doesn't mean anything to the Lord. Did you see Him mocking Israel in Isaiah 58? Let's go home and lift the burdens from those that are too, where the burdens are too heavy. Let's relieve the afflicted. Those that are our flesh, let's show extra kindness to them. Then the Lord will be our rearward. He'll go before us. And when we cry unto him, he'll say, here I am. He'll cause us to walk upon the high places of the earth. The children that come out of you can be the repairers of breaches. Who wants to think high enough to accomplish something great for the Lord? His word is perfect. Anything in our lives that doesn't match up to perfection is because we don't continue in his word long enough. And when it says to continue there, it just means that you look at every aspect of every sin that the Bible points out and you get rid of it completely. Then you can get up and go in boldness. The righteous are as bold as a lion. They don't go through life fearfully because they've met with God through his word. And the bright spotlight shone on them. They shed those things out of their lives and they go forward. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. What is the deed? Inspecting yourself, examining yourself by the light of God's word and making the changes to bring your life into agreement with God's word. What will God do? Everything laid out in Isaiah 58. Great will be your reward. God have mercy on your wicked souls if you walk out of here and ignore his perfect law of liberty, a perfect mirror, and a perfect light that shows up all of our faults. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word for the righteousness of your lives and his blessing upon you.